Hello, this is Ali Shapiro, and today we'll be mapping compliance on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Ali Shapiro. Ali is the founder of Truce With Food, host of the top-ranked podcast Insatiable, a holistic nutritionist, integrative health coach, and rebel with a serious cause. She's academically, practically, and empathetically aware of how the medical system, diet culture, and body positivity movements all have their own flavor of crazy. She created her Truce With Food method while in graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania, where she earned her master's in organizational dynamics, which is like getting an MBA in the change process, where she drew from her decade plus of working with real life clients and her own personal healing journey from having cancer as a teenager. I loved this conversation with Allie, and I'm sure you're going to as well. So let's dive in. Hello, Allie. I'm so thrilled to have you here on the 15 Minute Matrix. Andrea, I am just honored to be here. I respect your work to the utmost degree. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited about the work you do. And one of the things that I think is a brilliant topic and crossover for our client and patient population is that of compliance. So when we use that term, how do you define it? I think of it as clients doing the behaviors that are aligned with their goals. Mm. And then how do we support that alignment? I love that. I love thinking about it through the lens of alignment. What do you see that it takes to get into alignment? We often think about goals in terms of people want less cravings, less brain fog, more energy, right? And so we focus heavily on what people consciously say they want, which is in essence better health, which is wonderful. And I often think of a car metaphor of that is orienting the car and that's getting our foot on the gas. Mm -hmm. Motivational interviewing is great for this. Positive psychology is great for this. Getting clients really clear on what they're about. However, what I noticed through my own journey and also observing clients for 12 years and being in grad school around the change process is that there's a break on our alignment intentions, which I would call competing commitments. Mm. So we want to be really healthy and have time to cook and we have to work late and we need a paycheck. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Or I want to reduce my cravings and, oh my God, I have 20 social functions this month and what do I do? I like those terms, competing commitments and that change process, I think is one that gets so overlooked in the functional medicine arena where we're so focused on helping somebody to feel better, we kind of have our own agenda and we forget that we need to work with an individual that's part of being functional who may need help in the change process. So if we're to look at that kind of 
physiologically as well as behaviorally? Are there certain things that come to mind for you that thwart our change processes or put those brakes on, so to speak? I actually mapped it. Mm. (laughs) So I can give you the four components. And I like that you emphasize the change process because I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but coaching and the change process can be different. Sometimes they're the same, but really getting people to change requires an identity shift. What I realized in the process that I mapped is that really the competing commitments are upholding a general identity in our life. Mm. Um, And it's not as much related to food as it is wanting to be good, a good worker, a good parent, a good sibling, insert the roles that we're really proud of in our lives. Mm -hmm. On a physiological level, what I found out is when this process or this break is happening, it puts people in a low grade fight or flight response. Absolutely. Very, very minimal. And unfortunately, most of us have normalized it because these patterns have been happening for decades. They often originated in childhood. You had Nikki Greatrix on who was talking about ACE scores. And I loved how she talked about these little T's of emotional trauma that are often chronic. If she gave you the big picture, this is how that shows up in patients and clients' everyday lives. It's a four-part process. There's the emotion, there's the story, then there's the stress response. And then the fourth are the behaviors that happen as a result of the stress response. The first thing is there's an emotional trigger. There is an emotion that happens in their day, right? Often we can say, oh, well, work is stressful or my kids are going through a hard time. And what we really want our clients to do is, well, what is that emotion? It's not actually the trigger itself. It's what is it triggering within me? What emotion? For a lot of my clients, uncertainty is a big emotional Mm -hmm. trigger. Mm -hmm. For others, fatigue, right? Mm -hmm. This is something we often deal with in our real life and also when we're dealing with a chronic illness. Mm -hmm. It's actually even not these emotions themselves, but then there's a story around this emotion that was very true in our childhood. So I'll give you a personal example. I had cancer when I was 13. Mm. And so uncertainty to me meant life or death, right? right? Yeah. (laughs) And that wasn't a made up story. It was something I really lived through. Several of my clients had neglect. A divorce happened and one parent kind of crumbled or some of my clients had an early death of a parent and things really fell apart within the family unit. It's really our story about the emotion. And then what happens, the same way that animals get a fight, flight, or freeze response in nature, we have a psychological fight, flight, or freeze response. The three stress responses that happen, we either go into compete mode, we either avoid, (laughs) or we either accommodate. And what happens is these choices were very protective when we were younger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They actually served us really well. So if we go back to my example, me accommodating the doctors really saved my life. Chemo really worked for the type of cancer I had. And to the best of my awareness, that was the best treatment for what I was going through. However, fast forward 10 years and having a lot of side effects (laughs) from my chemotherapy, I was trying to accommodate Western medicine doctors and that 
stress response was no longer serving me. It was no longer protective. And I had to learn a new way of being. (laughs) I love this example. I mean, you're making me realize something about myself and I'll just share. I'm really also responsive to uncertainty because of the uncertainty of living with my husband's diagnosis. What does it look like to die from a brain tumor? What's going to happen? When is it going to happen? Do I need to worry about him driving, carrying the baby, whatever it was? So much uncertainty. And I've come to, for myself, not accommodate, but compete. So what I do is I'm up against a deadline. I'm in the competition mode and I'm in the process now with my son applying to college and I get very competitive. I get super into the drive because I like to control the factors I can control because I know there are factors I can't control. I get competitive not with anybody, but with myself about how do you achieve in the realm of uncertainty. And it's, of course, teaching me a lesson because... (laughs) You can't do anything about it. You can have the perfect everything and still not win at this game, which is the lesson of life. And knowing that about myself and working with it, what does that do? What does knowing that do for us when we're working with a client or patient to get them into the mode of that change process. I love that you use that example because it brings up the nuance and complexity, right? Competing has really benefited you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want you to stop competing completely. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) In this process that I've mapped out, ultimately healing is not that you try to avoid uncertainty or stop competing. It's making uncertainty mean something different Mm -hmm. when the competition isn't serving you. And another point I want to bring up is that we tend to go through all three styles. These are not archetypes or whatnot. They are patterns that can very much be changed. Mm. And that's really important for people. I think a lot of times, you know, in my master's degree, we had to learn all different types of personality testing. (laughs) And I think sometimes we can start to over identify with, oh, I'm the accommodator. I am a competitor when that blocks us from seeing the ways that the various patterns play out. And I do want to just say this comes from the Thomas Kilman conflict model. So this is steeped in adult learning, even though they use it in an industrial psychology (laughs) realm. I realized that this is what my clients were doing specifically. And then there were behaviors on top of that. So to your point, setting deadlines and for competitors, the finish line's always changing, right? Yes. (laughs) As soon as you hit one benchmark, it's like, I'm going to move. Avoiders, their behaviors tend to be fantasizing about a perfect magic solution or accommodators tend to just feel like, oh, they can never prioritize themselves because they're accommodating when really they're protecting that they like to please people and all those kind of things. So how we start to get out of this is first really to identify the pattern and that clarity to recognize the inherent benefits of it Mm -hmm. starts to open up some compassion and saying, Oh my God, like this was brilliant at one point and it's still brilliant. And now there may be some blind spots, right? (laughs) Yes. So in this model, the quadrant that is what I really consider the healing quadrant and where you get incredible results is it's called collaboration, but I think of it as the creativity spot in the matrix Mm -hmm. where you value the relationship with your body and you value your goal. And this is when we stop 
orienting outwards and start orienting inwards. Love that. That's always really like a highlight when we're thinking about the work we do in functional nutrition. I always say my goal is for people to live their personal best. And that personal best is about hearing yourself and knowing and being more intuitive with what's necessary for your body given your situation. And I love that you're bringing us back to that internal voice, that intuition that we have. And trying to separate it out from what am I culturally conditioned to think Mm -hmm. that I want (laughs) on an emotional level? Because if we go to the beginning of this episode, people will say, well, I think I have to work such long hours or I have to create separate meals for my kids or whatnot. And what we're really doing is taking an identity template from a very sick culture of what a good parent is, a good worker, all this stuff. And we actually can sink into this win-win where we can better align our emotional choices with what we really want out of life. We all know that we get more creative ideas when we're rested. It's my shower in the morning. I'm like, I'm so brilliant in the shower in the morning. I'm like, my gosh, should just take showers all day. But it's the morning because I'm rested and on. Yeah. And so like if we take your example of that competitor and, and in your business, and this is where the healing comes in, because all of a sudden uncertainty doesn't have to mean things are going to fall apart. When you think about those deadlines, it's like, what kind of time do I really need? What's realistic? What is going to actually help me enjoy this process rather than just trying to race to the finish line? I would say about 80% of the time we have a perceived idea that we have to compete or avoid or accommodate. (laughs) And most of the time we actually don't need to be in those modes. And then the 20% of the time we do, at least we're rejuvenated, right? (laughs) We have the resiliency because we're not always quote on is often a term my clients use. Like I feel like I always have to be on in some way. With my clients, we test out, is it safe? Because this is about psychological safety, which translates into physical safety. Is it safe to tune in and trust my own path with my own deadlines or my own scope of what I want to do? Is it safe to not avoid and to be in the mess? Competitors, their mental frame is, am I head or behind, winning or losing? Avoiders tend to be the all or nothing. Like there's going to be a fantasy magic bullet or it's all gone to hell, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we know that when we're healing with clients, there's going to be steps forward, steps back. And it's helping people be okay with that discomfort of not the fantasy. And then accommodators tend to think either or, like either... I say yes to the request or the person is going to be disappointed. A great example is this is when people have to change their diets, right? <gasps> well, what's going to happen to my kids or right. to the partner? Yes. And it's like, well, wait a second. Let's focus on what everyone can have. Where's the exactly. win? But these stress responses put us into mental models mm-hmm. that create black and white thinking. And then the fourth part are the behaviors mm. that happen as a result of the stress response. When I was using my example of the accommodators, I was just going from doctor to doctor and my behavior was going to the doctors and trusting them that they could you know, figure out. Fix you. Yeah, that they could fix me. And that was my mental model because I was a good patient. I wasn't a active patient. With competing, for your example, it's how you set deadlines, how aggressive you are, maybe in your business projections. Those are certain behaviors. And we would think of them as often noble behaviors. Right. A lot of times the avoiders will not speak up for their food needs, but they Mm. also don't speak up at work. We call it the chuck it, F it mode. It's just easier not to say anything or just easier not to prepare. Often it's a lack of behavior. And the work that I do with clients, we call 
these protective behaviors and our inner protector. (laughs) And so these tend to be the stubborn habits, whether they're bad habits, not meditating, not going to bed on time. And they are actually protective when you understand four parts of this invisible process that could build all day and we release it at night, or it could happen in the moment. Just a little circuitry that's happening there all the time, basically. Yes. And because it's often happened in childhood, we don't know what we don't know. So we've normalized these feelings and these responses. And so it just feels like, oh, this is who we are. And this is how I am versus, wait a second, you've just been really brilliant at developing protective behaviors. And now maybe you don't need them as often. (laughs) If we're to think about the realm of compliance, just in relation to these competing commitments and this four-part change process, are there any final words that you would share with other practitioners about bringing this into the coaching or counseling or therapeutic model? is definitely identifying the patterns and then to start to get out of the patterns is getting your client clear on what they need in that situation Mm. and then also having them get clear on what the situation requires. So for example, I'll use a food one. A lot of people are like, oh my God, how am I going to pull this off when I travel? I'm traveling with other people. And that 80% of the time we're perceiving that there's a conflict when there really is none. And so it's, (laughs) I call that anticipatory grief. We hear it from clients and patients a lot. I can't, I'm worried about this is what's going to happen. If they can start to get clear on what they really need and they can get clear on what's important to the hostess or what's Mm. important to the others on the road, they will often realize, oh my God, there's no conflict here. (laughs) But it's the perceived or anticipatory grief. I love that you use that term. Most of us aren't clear on what we need. And then we're also just assuming what other people or even what work needs. I had a client who was really struggling with prioritizing nutrition because she was working late. And here she was never asking the deadlines. She was just assuming it was yesterday. Right, right. And as she started to ask the deadline, she was like, oh my God. I have been making this so much harder for myself Mm. than I needed to. Right. So much to glean there. I feel like I just went through therapy. Thank you, Allie. (laughs) I'm like walking away with a tremendous awareness. And it's interesting, you know, my competitive self, I don't compete with anybody else. It's my own inner competition I'm having. And just that awareness is really interesting. Thank you, Allie. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes Carla Schaefer and my son, Gilbert Nakayama, on sound production, Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear many more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We will be sure to drop into your inbox with a super short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. And you have an open invitation to email us. I definitely want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what topics you'd like to see mapped on the 15 Minute Matrix. You can email us at any time at ask at 15minutematrix.com.